Friends, I have an important word of encouragement for each of you. Plus, we'll tackle a difficult question. Does God use sickness as judgment? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. I am so blessed and thrilled that God has allowed me to be here on radio, on Internet, during a time of crisis and concern like this, to serve you, to be a blessing to you, to be a help to you. Our whole team is thrilled that we're able to continue doing what we're doing. And I hope that that we've been helping you, that the articles we've been putting out, the videos, the live streams, the chats, the uh, the, the preaching messages, and of course, the daily radio broadcast. I really hope and pray that we've been ministering to you, helping you, strengthening you. If you have a question you'd like to ask me on any subject, but specifically related to the current pandemic, but any subject at all, phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. In a little while, we are going to get into the subject of, does God use sickness as judgment? And how does that relate to the coronavirus? We're going to get into that. We're also going to address one more time whether churches should be complying with government guidelines, government restrictions regarding public gatherings. We talked about it. I want to address that again. I have articles coming out on these subjects as well. We've been talking about on the air. So we're going to get to that. But first, I have a strong word of encouragement for you. My brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you're a child of God, panic, fear have no place in your life. The true gospel is not made for times of prosperity and ease, and that's the only way it functions. The true gospel is made for adversity and hardship and difficulty and challenge. The true gospel thrives in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of disease, in the midst of death. I want to remind you of what Paul wrote in Romans, the eighth chapter. He's been dealing with the, the, the fallen state of the world and the pain and suffering of the creation and how we travail in prayer as well. And he says, Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 28, one of the best known verses in the entire New Testament. Now we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things in themselves are good. A virus that kills people in itself is not good. A car crash in itself is not good. Bankruptcy in itself is not good. Divorce in itself is not good. There are many bad things that we may be experiencing in this life, but all things, because God is at work in the midst of them, All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God has a plan, and that plan involves you, chosen in Jesus the Messiah, going in a certain direction forever, so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. We're not going to get into a debate about Calvinism, Arminianism, and interpretation of these verses, but this is the foundation to say that God is at work to make you like his son, and whatever is going on around you, therefore it can all work for good. 
Then he says this. What then shall we say in view of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Friend, that word is true, whether there's an epidemic or a pandemic in the world. That word is true. If all the government's armies are pointing their weapons at us, that word is true no matter who or what is against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Whenever I'm attacked, whenever people come against me, organizations come against me, whatever, I always feel bad for the others because I know if I'm doing the will of God that, that he's with me. I feel bad for the others. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the hard part. That's the costly part. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? What we need to be sustained, to live in this world, and to glorify the Lord. Who is the one who condemns? It is Messiah who died and moreover was raised and is now at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. He's the one fighting for you, friend, not condemning you. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Now look at this. What's the very first thing? Tribulation. Whether it's a seven-year tribulation, whether it's the minor tribulation of, of this pandemic, as bad as it is, whatever it is, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, let's just pause here. Come on, people of God, let's get ourselves together. Let's think this through for a moment. We're talking about heavy stuff, tribulation, sword, persecution, famine. We're, we're talking about things far worse than the vast majority of, our, of us are experiencing right now. The, at the moment, the minor hardships and inconveniences that we're enduring and the, the, the question of where's our next paycheck going to come from, these are real things, but they are minor compared to what Paul lists here. We, we need to rise up, friends. You're stronger than this. You're bigger than this in, in the Lord. You're not just like the rest of the world. We've got to seize the moment. Shouldn't there be a difference between God's people and the people of the world that we go through hardship differently? And we may not be delivered from it all the time, but we go through it differently. We go through it with faith. We go through it with joy. I'm facing the same issues you're facing in many ways. Yeah, we can go on doing radio broadcasts. I can do, go on writing. But a lot of our income comes as I travel and speak and, and we receive for the ministry honorariums and love offerings and things like that. Well, then what do we do if the money's not there? How do we pay our bills? How do we pay our team? I mean, these are real life issues that we're all dealing with. And the places where we're planning to go to minister, one after another, canceling places we, we poured into and they've been preparing and all that. You can't do that. So we're, we're all affected. We're all in this together. And, and then the, 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 the backbone of our ministry financially, our monthly support as well, that's many of you, and you're being affected. So we're, we're all in this together, but I'm telling you, we'll get through it shining if we honor the Lord. If we come as people of faith and begin to worship and praise and adore and give thanks in the midst of challenges, get together as a family and say, We've got no idea how we're going to make it, but we know God's faithful. And you start to rejoice and praise God and thank him by faith without any evidence other than he is good. And if we are his children and we love him, he is for us. That's all I need to know. That's all you need to know. Jeremiah complained to the Lord in Jeremiah 12. And he just had it. It was too much. And rather than God encouraging him from the outset, God says to him, if, if you're worn out running with footmen, how are you going to run with horsemen? It's like, Jeremiah, this is nothing. If you can't take it here in your home, hometown of Anatot, how are you going to take it in the big city of Jerusalem? 
And, and rather than discouraging the prophet, it strengthened him. I feel God saying the same to many of us. Come on, you're bigger than this. You're stronger. Pastors, faith leaders, lead the way with encouragement, strength. Say, hey, we're, we're not going under. We're going over in Jesus' name. And let's seize the moment also so that life just doesn't go on like always. Maybe you're all into sports and the latest TV show and this, and a lot of stuff's canceled. Well, spend extra time with God. Spend extra time in the Word. Spend extra time with your family. How about spending extra time reaching out? How about asking God every day, Lord, give me a divine appointment, someone I can reach, be it on social media, be it my coworker, be it someone by phone, be it someone by email. Lord, give me someone I can reach every single day to bring a word of encouragement, strength, and hope to them. Why not? We're the people of God. Church leaders, uh, listen, I'm all for big buildings. I'm all for mega churches and using them for the glory of God. It's a season where we can do that. Let's do it. But we've never been dependent on buildings. Maybe this is a time for people to really get to know each other in smaller groups. Maybe this is a time to, to build networks of things you've always wanted to that you can't do in a Sunday morning setting. Maybe this is a time to help wean people from just being dependent on a Sunday morning sermon and helping them to develop better habits of studying the Word together. Let, let's seize the moment together and look for opportunities to be good, uh, to do good. Now look at what Paul writes here, Romans the 8th chapter, and this is what's so striking. Romans 8, he asks the question, so who's going to separate us from the love of Messiah? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? Let me say again, 99.9% of us, that's more severe than what's happening to us right now. As it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter from Psalm 44. In other words, we are going through living hell. In other words, we are going through hardship. In other words, we are dying. We are being persecuted. But it's not separating us from God. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can I proclaim that through the coronavirus and the other calamity, pandemic, tragedy, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us? For I'm convinced... And Paul knew what he was talking about. Paul went through it. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from that. My friend, if you're in right relationship with God, that's the big thing. From there, begin to worship him, honor him, praise him. From there, begin to say, Lord, what lesson can I learn from this? Pastors, leaders, what, what can we seize from this? What can we take away from this? What's the message that God is speaking to the church in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the epidemic, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the storm? What is God saying to us? How can we seize this moment? For me, if I'm traveling less, that means more time to be with God. That means more time to pour into writing. That means more time to do special broadcasts to help and encourage and strengthen God's people. That means more time to hear from God, marching orders for what's to come. Seize the moment. Whatever is brought hardship about, let that be an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to become stronger in faith. Let this reveal weak spots in our lives. Let this reveal fears in our lives. Let's this, let this reveal unhealthy living patterns in our lives. Maybe this is the, the moment that you get your life together and begin to deal with your health and deal with your immune system through healthy eating. Who knows what can come out of this? But friends, God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. 
You don't have to know what caused this. Is it manufactured in a lab? Is it just what most would say, that it's, it's a natural process in a fallen world? Is it divine judgment? Is Satan attacking? Is it a combination of various things? You don't have to figure out the origins. What you need to know is, Lord, how do I respond? Come on, my brother, my sister, rise up in the midst of this. Let's seize this moment and let's watch God turn it for good. That's who he is. That's what he does. My friends, that was burning in my heart to share with you. I pray you receive it, share it with us. We'll, we'll pull that segment and put it out just as a special old 10, 12-minute video that you can share with others. But come on, let's step up. Let's rise up. This is our moment to shine, friends. We can do it. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. And in a little while, we're going to deal with the subject of, does God send sickness? Does God send sickness as judgment? What does the Bible say? And how does that apply to the coronavirus, COVID-19 that is flooding the world right now. But first, I want to deal with something very practical. Should churches obey government guidelines, government-imposed restrictions on public gatherings, or is that an unconstitutional overreach by the government? Is, is this the first of many things that the government, the federal government, will be doing in the days ahead, whether Trump is president or anyone else is president? And we need to be cautious. We need to be wary. We need to do what we feel God wants us to do and not be bowing down to these restrictions. How should we see them? Or should we simply honor the government, honor the authorities? Or perhaps is there a, another principle at work? Now, I've spoken about this a number of times. I've written about it. But I want to address it just in short one more time. First, let's take a look at the larger principles of Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, Paul writes, Let every person submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are put in place by God. And in particular, it's talking about government that is doing God's work, meaning punishing evil and protecting good. So whoever opposes the authority has resisted God's direction, and those who have resisted will bring judgment on themselves. So when the police officer pulls you over, even though you think it's unjust, you act respectfully to the police officer. You may be 60, the officer may be 30, but that's an authority figure. You deal with them respectfully for these reasons. For leaders cause no fear for good behavior, but for bad. Now, if you do not, if you do not want to fear the authority, do what is good, and you'll get his approval. Right? So, so you know the feeling that when, when you realize, okay, I've been way over the speed limit and my registration is not current <laughs> and you get pulled over, you have a lot more concern. When everything's good and clean, it's like, officer, what did I do? So you don't live in fear because you're obeying the law. Do what is good, you'll get his approval, for he is God's servant to you for good. So again, this is speaking in particular of those who are doing good and, and who are enforcing good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not carry the sword for no reason. For he is God's servant and avenger who inflicts punishment on the evildoer. Therefore, it is necessary to be in submission, not only because of punishment, but also because of conscience. For this reason, you also pay taxes. 
For the authorities are God's servants, attending diligently to this very thing. Pay to everyone what is due them, tribute to whom tribute is due, tax to whom tax is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. And then verse 8, Owe to no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the Torah, has fulfilled God's law. And then all the commandments really are subsumed under the heading of love one another. Okay, so there's the larger principle of we obey the authorities. We obey the authorities unless the authorities tell us to disobey God. That could be if the authorities say, forbid us from preaching in the name of Jesus. Then we do what the apostles said, did and said, we must obey God rather than man. Or if the government authorities tell you to violate your conscience, which is based on scripture, to do something that is immoral or wrong or obscene, that I must obey God rather than man. So we submit to the governing authorities unless the governing authorities tell us to disobey God, in which case we don't rebel as much as we obey the highest authority. Well, many would say the government now is moving beyond its constitutional rights. The government now is doing things that it doesn't have the right to do, and what if the next thing is more restrictive? Or what if the government says, well, we're going to take away your weapons or your, 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 your guns or things like that? How far does the government go before the church pushes back. There are plenty of places where we've already drawn a line in the sand and said no to the government. There there are plenty of places we've already said no, we won't comply with this. It's unethical, it's wrong, it's sinful. If we get arrested, we get arrested. If we lose our jobs, we lose our jobs. If we get punished, we get punished. But we're going to obey God, not man. We've been doing that for years. We've been doing that, say, with extreme LGBT activism when it, when it infringes on our religious rights and freedoms or violates our conscience. And sorry, we can't agree with that. We have to obey God rather than that. Is this one of those situations? I don't see it like that. I was interacting with a pastor who studies the Constitution and is very serious about the rights of believers, and he feels that this is something that he must disobey. Now he's got a plan to do it in a way that will be, he believes, safe for his congregants, etc. But he feels he has to disobey. Personally, I do not see this as government overreach as much as concern for my neighbor. I'm looking at this more based on Romans 13, 8 than anything else. Love one another. Love does no harm to its neighbor. In other words, by God's grace, I'm, hell. I'm 65 years old. My immune system is strong. I'm healthy. I can't boast about a second from now. Obviously, none of us can. But I'm not so concerned about myself. But what if I'm in public gatherings, and by being in public gatherings, I get infected? I don't even know. it. Maybe it doesn't even touch me, but I, I just become a carrier. What if I carry that to others? You're dealing with a situation in Italy right now where they cannot cremate bodies fast enough where you have coffins being lined up with bodies in them because you can have no funerals. Where people are saying, I'd like to have a funeral, but everyone in my family is sick and we're all quarantined. We're we're dealing with situations where many millions of people could die. So if the government is, is listening to health experts, obviously we didn't come out quickly enough. We weren't ready with tests and things like that. I was just reading that in South Korea which has done a better job of controlling this thus far. South Korea, uh, they tested about 5,000 out of every 1 million uh, citizens. We were more like 74 out of every 1 million citizens. So we're behind in that regard. So we have to take some more extreme measures. We're not like communist China. And communist China is constantly engaging in persecution of religious groups and, and in unjust 
treatment of religious groups and minorities and things like that. And, and, and that is something that we would absolutely steadfastly oppose here in America. But this is affecting the local bar as much as the local church. This is affecting the local sports league as, as, as much as it's expecting the, the wedding industry, affecting the wedding industry. This is something affecting everybody. So to me, as I understand it, this is not the first step in President Trump coming to, to seize our liberties and the, and the government coming to seize our liberties. I think he'd fight about that and fight for that as much as anybody. If it had been President George H.W. Bush in, in, in power, and he talked about the New World Order. There was, you know, he had a famous New World Order speech. It's like, okay, this is part of the New World Order and this worldwide conspiracy to bring people down. You, maybe you could argue for that more, okay? Or if it was President Barack Obama, who many of us on the conservative side and the right disagree with his policies and felt that there was overreach and things he was doing that were wrong. Okay, or let's say it was President Bernie Sanders, an out and proud socialist, okay? Wanted the government to have more and more power and more and more control, more and more influence, if it was him, you might say that's what's going on. I don't see that happening under the current administration. Okay, I'm not saying President Trump's good and all the others are bad. I'm just saying I don't see that happening under this administration. I see this as health officials giving recommendations that our government leaders feel are wise and that many other countries are doing and that we're trying to avoid what's happening in Iran What's happening in Italy, we're trying to avoid that happening in America. To me, the main principle is love my neighbor. Am I willing to restrict myself a little in order to love my neighbor? Yes. Am I willing to go without something in order to love my neighbor? Yes. And we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus, should have no problem heeding that counsel. So again, I respect those who have different views, who feel that this is an infringement, and the government has no right to do this, and it's unconstitutional. I understand where you're coming from. I don't judge you for doing it. I simply say, I believe we should comply. I believe God will meet the churches as we do and show us many new things that we can learn and grow in during this time. And that meeting in smaller groups or live stream, there's all kinds of good that can come out of this that God will sustain us. We, we may not sustain our normal American prosperous lifestyle, but he will sustain us in the midst of the storm. And it should be our goal to be a blessing to others. Lord, how can I be a blessing to others? And you say, well, I have all kinds of faith. Well, then pray this thing to an end. If you've got the faith, do it. Shut yourself in your room and don't come out until the pandemic stops. That's faith. Come on, go ahead and do it. You got faith? Then share what you have. Instead of hoarding toilet paper, you got all this faith. Be sharing it, saying, hey, I got some extra toilet paper. Come on, friends. Let's rise higher in the midst of this. And let's not be so concerned with our liberties. There is a time to stand. And if I end up in jail for standing against the government when the government tells me to disobey God, so be it. People die rather than disobey God. We stand. We honor him. But I do not see that as the principal issue here. The principal issue from my perspective is love your neighbor and follow the wise guidelines our government is asking us to go by. And I believe it will save many lives. And God willing, in not that long a period of time, we'll come through this having learned some good lessons along the way. All right. We come back. I want to get your calls. I also want to take up the subject of does God send sickness? Does he use sickness as judgment and how does it relate to the virus? 
866-34-TRUTH. Yeah, question Regina posted, why do we as believers fear death? Obviously, we want to live. We love life. We, we love being with family. We love here being for others. Uh, we love being here for others. I would hate to leave this world for the sake of family and friends and those I can minister to. But yeah, we should look at death as just the, the entry to glory, as the long-awaited departure from this broken world into the perfect presence of God. If we can break the fear of death, first and foremost, boy, oh boy, a whole lot of other fears will disappear along the way. 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Thanks for being with us. We'll be right back. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on the Line of Fire today. This is Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution, hopefully providing you with hope, strength, scriptural guidelines, faith in the midst of a crisis. Boy, am I thrilled to have the privilege of being on the airwaves and speaking to each of you. I know that many of you facing financial challenges right now, you might be already in the midst of it. In other words, your business, your industry, you personally, you've already been affected and and you're already struggling and you've heard the president's going to be getting money to folks, but obviously we put our trust in God more than government. So many of you are hurting right now. I'm not asking you to send us money, but let's pray one for another. Would you pray for us that every need would be met in our ministry work for our team, for our staff, for folks who work and have paychecks and families like everybody else? Would you believe, God, with that missionaries that we support around the world, that our needs would be met? And, and we pray for you that your needs would be met. And we're here to give. We're just looking for more ways to give and sow into you. And uh, we trust that, that God will take care of us as, as we honor him as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Right? We've got some important phone calls, subjects I want to get to shortly. But first, this. Here's a big question. We look at the coronavirus and we wonder, okay, where did it come from? Is it man-made? Is it just the result of natural development in the fallen world? Maybe Satan's attacking with it. Is this divine judgment from God? Or what's God saying or doing in the midst of it? And someone immediately protests and say, no, 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 no. Whatever is going on, even if God's speaking through this, God does not send sickness as judgment. I mean, after all, Jesus, who represents the Father, who... He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that Jesus went about doing good and healing all that was sick. He didn't make people sick. He healed them of sickness. And we, we know that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We know that Satan is a murderer. So certainly God would never send sickness as judgment. Well, on the one hand, I absolutely believe that we see the Father's heart revealed through the Son and that Jesus went about healing and making people well, and delivering them from the power of Satan. So if someone asked me what is God's heart for his children, I would say health. I would say health, not sickness. I would say life, not death. That would be his heart, his desire for his children, for his obedient children, as revealed through Scripture. But does God sometimes use sickness and disease as judgment? Of course. Absolutely. He's God. Let's look in Exodus fifteen twenty six. 
And this is where God reveals himself and says, Ani Adonai Rofecha, I am the Lord, your healer. So, so let's look at this. Exodus 15, 26, I'll read it in Hebrew. Vayomer, and he said, Im tishma If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and you do what is right in his sight, and you pay attention to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. Now look at what he says. All the sickness, all the disease that I put on Egypt, I won't put on you, because I am the Lord, your healer. In fact, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on that Hebrew word, Rafa, to heal, to make whole, to restore. And I studied every verse in the Bible having to do with sickness, disease, healing, focusing on the Old Testament, going right through the New Testament, and put all that together beyond my dissertation in the book Israel's Divine Healer that came out in 1995. So I focused on this, prayed, studied, looked at every relevant word in Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and ancient Semitic languages to best understand this. So here's what's clear as we step back from these verses. Let's consider this. God says, the diseases I put on Egypt, I won't put on you. Well, is the Hebrew like passive? No, no, it's active. I've heard that there's kind of like a reflexive meaning or it's a, a condition. No, no, it's very simple. The diseases, the sicknesses, God says, I put on Egypt. They weren't just physical diseases. They were different plagues. God sent them. He sent the destroying angel. God did that. And you have other examples before that. You know, in in, in Exodus 12, he smites Egypt there. In Exodus 20, he closes the wombs of of the the household of Abimelech, the the women there. He, He does it throughout Scripture. If you read through Deuteronomy 28, he promises as curses for disobedience that he will send wasting sickness and disease. God does this in judgment. Deuteronomy 32, 39, God says, I smite, I heal. I I kill, I make alive. I the Lord. Now, his desire is that his children walk in obedience and are therefore blessed with health. That's his desire. And sickness in and of itself is a bad thing. That's why it comes as a judgment. But I give you verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible, in Hebrew, literal, clear, indisputable, where God says he sends sickness as judgment. Does that mean all sickness is judgment? No, 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 no. And that's one of the lessons from the book of Job. Don't think because someone is sick and suffering that they therefore must be in disobedience to God. Some of the godliest people I know are sick. Some of the godliest people I know have chronic diseases. Some of the godliest people I know are disabled. It doesn't mean that every sickness, that every disease is a judgment. No. But it does mean that sickness and disease in and of themselves are bad things, not good things. We won't have them in heaven, the world to come, and they weren't in the garden before sin. All right? So we we know that eternally these are not things God blesses us with. You don't pray for a newly married couple that they'll be sickly, that their children will be disabled. and so No, you don't pray that for them because we desire health and 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 fertility, and productivity, and things like that. But in this fallen world, there'll be people sick, there'll be diseases, there'll be various things we deal with, and in the midst of that, we can grow in God, glorify God. But does God sometimes send sickness and disease? Yes. And it continues in the New Testament. It absolutely does. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, clearly seen as believers, the fear of God comes on the church as a result of this, And it's clearly seen as divine judgment. Acts 12 is explicit. Some of the explanations I've read of these texts to try to say they mean something else, forget about it. Forget about it. Acts 12, the angel of the Lord smites Herod because of his pride, and he dies. 
How about Revelation, the second chapter, where Jesus, uh, speaking about sin in the church in Thyatira and this false prophetess Jezebel, says, I'm going to throw your children on a bed of sickness because you won't repent. I'll, I'll kill some of them. I'll kill them. Yeah, this is Jesus speaking. And again, the explanation is to try. It doesn't really mean what it says. Of course it means what it says. Of course it does. And then you go on in the book of Revelation, Revelation 16, that bowls of wrath containing plague are poured out from God in heaven. So whether he works through the devil, through demons, through the fallen structure of the human race and and the things that are on the planet, however he does these things, I don't believe there's sickness in heaven, but God can send these things as plagues and judgments. Yes, he sometimes does it. But he does it in a way that is clearly related to disobedience and sin and rebellion. In other words, that you know you've disobeyed, you know you've sinned, and suddenly you find yourself smitten. It's obvious, okay, like the psalmist would pray in in, in Psalm 6 or Psalm 30 or Psalm 41, they would pray for mercy and healing because they had sinned. In other words, I'm sick because of sin. I'm asking for healing as mercy and forgiveness. So when there's a nation in disobedience and sin and rebellion and there are prophetic warnings and then judgments come, there's something that people recognize and when they turn back to God in repentance, there's healing and mercy and restoration. We see that through the prophetic books, the whole person wholly healed. So what about the coronavirus? Is it a divine judgment? I could not say that. I could not say to you that right now, for example, there are elderly people dying, dying in Italy, and this is a divine judgment. There are thousands dying in Iran, and this is a divine judgment. The, the world is, is shuttering down, and this is a divine judgment. I can't say that. I don't know what is behind this. Maybe others have more spiritual insight in this than I do or can speak more definitively, but I don't know. Here's what I do know. This is a divine wake-up call that this is something that God is using to wake us up, to stir our hearts, to change our thinking, to deliver us from our complacency, from our worldliness, to get us thinking about eternity, to test our faith. There are many, many other things coming from it. So whether the devil sent it, whether it's something in the natural, God is working through it. May we hear what the Spirit is saying. May we respond accordingly. And may we pursue God according to his revealed nature, the one who desires to heal and make well. May we ask God to have mercy. May we be used as agents of healing sickness and disease in Jesus' name. 866-34-TRUTH. With that, go to the phones. Andrew in Maryland, welcome to the line of fire. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hello, Dr. Brown. This is Andrew. I wanted to call because... I want. I wanted to call because I'm so glad you raised the point about whether the church should obey the government, should obey the government, or just do what they're doing. Because this has been something that's been on my mind a lot. Because on the one hand, there are some churches that that have been still go, going to have service, like this past Sunday at one of my. Ch- the churches I attend, although they did kind of stop stop that this week because of, you know, although they did kind of stop that toward Tuesday because of the government mandate here in Maryland, 
And I do respect that. They're trying to look out for the flock, and I appreciate yeah. that. But yeah. on the other hand... Oh, I'm go, sorry. No, no, you, you go ahead. You go ahead. All right. All right. But on the other hand, there are some pa- pastors, and many of those who I respect, like Jeremiah Johnson and even a close friend of mine who said that do, that closing your church, the churches during this time is is considered cowardly, and they even went to an extent of calling social distancing Holy Spirit distancing. And that's and that was a bit weird, because it was almost as if they're trying to say that the Holy Spirit's only going to move within the walls of the Church, and maybe they do have scriptural foundations saying ro- the Book of Romans or something said not to forsake mean together, but... Yeah. So let me. Yeah. Let me. Let me share my. Let me share my thoughts, Andrew. Uh, I haven't interacted with uh, with Jeremiah Johnson on this at all. So I, I don't know what Jeremiah's put out. But we're we're friends and colleagues, so it's we we interact on other subjects uh, fairly regularly. And I know that he seeks to uh, to live by divine wisdom. We actually talked about that with some travel plans and getting fatherly wisdom on yep. some. You know. So the the thing I'd say in short is perhaps there are two things. Deal with the spirit of fear that people are in. When we came back, we deal with the spirit of fear. Let's deal with that. Let's crush that. Let's expose that. Let's deal with cowardice. And, and, and let's uproot it in our lives in Jesus' name. And then let's act with practical wisdom. And it's practical wisdom right now not to be gathering together. And it's an expression of love for my neighbor. So I can do both at the same time. Let's crush that spirit of fear and cowardice. And then let's act with wisdom, which right now is to go with the government guidelines and not to gather in large groups. And yeah, the Holy Spirit can move whether we're in close proximity or at a distance. Hey, thank you for calling in, Andrew. I appreciate it. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire today, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Seth in Philadelphia. Thanks for calling. Hey, shalom, Dr. Brown. Thanks for having me on again. You bet. Um, my question is, uh, of course, in uh, you know the current events as of late globally, um, if you go through Scripture, from Torah, Tanakh as a whole, and then through the Renewed Covenant, you see what the Father does when His children, let's just take Tanakh for example, uh, the Israelites, uh, before the exile, whenever the Israelites disobeyed the Father's commandments, whenever they went against Hashem's Torah, there are consequences, uh, such as, you know, the pestilence that the Father speaks of in Deuteronomy. Of course, during the saga of the judges, when numerous chapters just start off, and Israel began to sin again, and Israel fell away, and it just keeps going on for, you know, the first few chapters of Judges, bad stuff happens. Um, I wanted to know, ultimately, could it be that the Father is utilizing, whether he authored it or whether he's allowing it, to wake up, number one, the Church, those who claim the name of Christ, those who claim the name of Yeshua. 
to forsake the man-made traditions of Christianity and to return to the Torah as exemplified by our Messiah. And then number two, for us to teach these things to unbelievers who have misconceptions about, quote, Christianity, and not just unbelievers in terms of, you know, Gentiles, but to our Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform brothers and sisters who have a misunderstanding about those who believe in Hamashiach, that we do not, we do not worship, you know, some Jewish man and we made him God. No, that's not what, that's not what we do. The Torah has not been done away with. Because we're saved, we should want to obey Torah, but we can absolutely not be saved by just works alone. So those are just my ultimate questions dealing with yeah. the coronavirus in terms of believers as well as non-believers. Yeah, as, as far as speaking to non-believers, I don't, I don't think that this is going to affect our apologetic that we don't worship a man or anything like that. We've been dealing with that for 2,000 years, misconceptions and dealing with the Jewish community that follows the Torah mm-hmm. uh, about these very things. But here's, here's what I would say. Uh, I agree that God's Word is filled with practical wisdom and mm-hmm. that there are many principles in the Torah about hygiene, uh, about diet, and things like that, that if uh, lived by, that, that we would be healthier overall, in general. I also know that mm-hmm. there were things that were just part of culture. For example, the New yep. Testament mentions Jesus reclining at meals, so that was the way that you ate in the ancient world. You'd kind of eat mm-hmm. lying down, and, and you'd lean on the person next to you. That's not the healthiest way to eat. And yet that's the way that he ate. It's not the healthiest way to digest your food. So I don't think we're supposed to model after those things, but learn whatever we can on a practical level. But the idea, for example, that this should be an opportunity for us to say that if you have a disobedient, rebellious child, that you should stone that child to death. No, obviously this is, this is not the direction we're going. So here, here's where, with all respect, sir, here's where I would just take issue with a, with a larger position. There's no question that... In many ways, the church has developed unhelpful traditions and has thrown out things that were good and and helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. On the other hand, when you mentioned the renewed covenant, both as a Hebrew scholar and as a student of Scripture, I do not accept that it's renewed. I understand it is new. It is something new and better, which is why in Hebrews, the eighth chapter, where it, it addresses this specifically, And after quoting extensively from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, in fact, the longest uh, passage quoted anywhere in the New Testament is quoted here. After quoting it, uh, then it says in Hebrews 8, 13, in saying new, he has treated the first as old, but what is being made old and aging is close to vanishing, speaking of the Sinai covenant. So it is a new covenant, not a renewed covenant. In other words, not everything that was written in the Sinai Covenant applies in the New and Better Covenant. Some of those things were there specifically to reveal sin to Israel. To, to, you know, just like we don't have the sacrificial system, it, it had a certain purpose. Now it's reached its goal in the Messiah. So I would say there's practical wisdom that we can learn from Torah at a time like this and ask why it is through the centuries that when there were plagues that, that often the Jewish community did better with the plagues than, than others, and that was just because of, you know, living by certain Torah principles. So let's, let's learn the good that we can from this, see if there's anything we've thrown out. But no, I don't look at this as a larger call to the church to say we, we need to go back to observing Torah. But I, I appreciate the call and the respectful tone, sir. So uh, not totally with you, 
on that, but I appreciate uh, and agree with some of what you said. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Theo in Durham, North Carolina. Thanks for calling. Blessings, Dr. Brown. How are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. Good, good, good. Well, I am a local pastor here in Durham, North Carolina, mm-hmm. where a congregation um, has the average size. And um, when it was first suggested, as a suggestion from Governor Cooper, to not have the assembly of 100 or more, I had a difficult decision to, 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 to come across and to take that we needed to do something with our, 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 our church service mm-hmm. even prior to actually the current CDC recommendation of, of 10 now. And the hardest thing that, that comes about it is actually that regardless, even if you actually do come with the structure to be able to share the Word of God being social media platforms or actually through conference calls or video conference call, finances, finances do struggle through this difficult time. And, and uh, I believe that churches that go through it, that decide to actually comply, like you said, because of the love of our neighbor, we're doing this because of the love of our neighbor, um, we, I believe, personally, I'm being tested on my faith mm-hmm. to grow in the Lord, because my finances in my own personal household are being affected. Now, I'm not doing this for an impediment like that. I'm just saying because it is yeah, difficult yeah. to actually see colleagues or the pastors that 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 talk down, pastors that decide to comply, feel peace within the Lord in finding ways on still spread the gospel uh, via different platforms, still preaching the gospel, and the finances are not there. And and it's it's so interesting hearing other pastors calling us out short of faith, calling us out, man, that we are not strong in the Lord, when truly all we're doing, David, I don't feel like you said earlier at the beginning of the show, it's not because the government's trying to impose something on me because of my belief. It is because more of actually what is being for the good of our community, for the well-being of our yeah. community. But still, uh, like someone t- tells me, Christianity is the only army that attacks itself, and, and, and that's hard to yeah. sometimes. Yeah, well, look, you know, people are, this is a unique situation, and it's revealing a lot of weakness and confusion and lack of faith in the body and fear and different things, and fear of government and fear of plague, fear of loss of finances, and it's, it's a unique situation that we're all going through, and it's one of those things where there's no immediate end in sight, and it's an invisible thing we're dealing with. I mean, most of us, I don't know anybody personally that knows anyone that has the virus, right? You know, so it's, it's one of those things that's going around, what do I do, what do I not do? Uh, so it's, it's a challenging situation. I think, Theo, that, that Christian maturity is going to bless those that judge us and, and those that criticize, rather than fighting back, say, hey, you know, uh, I think you're missing the point here, and I'm going to bless you in the, in the midst of it. What I would say is, any pastor who wants his people to gather together, primarily to ensure that there's an offering that comes in to meet the church budget, that to me is operating in fear. And the faith response would be, hey, let's act wisely Let's love our neighbor and not gather together. And these days, so many people give online or someone can come by a you know, church building and drop a check off or something like that. We, we can make sure that needs are met. But 
as I said to our to our listeners and viewers earlier, you know, we're in the same boat because uh, when I go out and speak, let's say I speak of a, at a church and it's got five thousand people, and so I'm going there to minister. But then that church will maybe receive an offering for our ministry, give an honorarium. So I don't get it personally, but that money is now going to pay our staff, pay our team, or help us support missionaries that we've pledged to. And they're on the field. They need the money, you know. So it's, it's a cycle we're all affected by. And I think what we need to do, and, and, and what I encourage you to do as a pastor, is to encourage spirit of love one for another, a spirit of faith, uh, in the midst of the pressure that you're under, you know, if, if a smaller church, every dime you really feel it, and and sometimes you don't, you know, you don't have savings in the bank. You know, most of my Christian life, life in ministry, I didn't have savings in the bank and things like that, or a retirement policy. You know, so uh, we feel this pressure in a real way. So let's now rise up and encourage faith, teach faith, teach love, teach generosity, and and I believe as we do that that we'll start to have testimonies of God meeting us and, and of God using us to bring healing to someone. And, and we'll see if this thing, quote, really works. Does generosity really work? Does faith really work? Does God's faithfulness endure in the midst of the storm? So, Lord, I, I pray for Theo. I pray for other pastors, ministry leaders making challenging decisions. I pray, Lord, for, for every, every breadwinner, everyone responsible for paying the bills in the home, I pray for Christian workers on the field dependent on support here. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself faithful, that as we honor you, that you would meet us and enable us to be a blessing to others in the midst of the storm. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, be strong, brother. We'll be talking on the other side of the storm, rejoicing in God's goodness. 